Welcome back to another episode of With Sonar. I'm Luke Falaska, of course, joined by my co-host Kyle Taylor, and we are excited to be back again at another event. They keep calling us back for these events, Kyle. Get me, get that lefty out of the bullpen. They keep calling us to to come to the the appearance yeah. of where we at the oil and and fuel summit here. I know, man. We're going to get to talk a little bit about what's driving the industry here, what's being put in okay. the vehicles. Okay. You love okay. to hear it. You've no. you seen it here no. first on With Sonar. The first, forgot the word. It's okay. fine. Dad um, jokes, not real. Bad need, jokes. need that. But, yeah. uh, but no, I'm, I'm glad to be back. So we just lost half our viewers. We're, we're back here, and now we have the true viewerships. Yeah. What, what do you know about the oil and gas industry? See, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I know I put oil in my car. I know that <laughs> you put oil in your car. Well, I, I guess gas, you do. I put a derivative of oil in my car. Technically, there is some put, oil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, a portion of the crude oil that I t- that they take out and put yep. it, and that's all I, I, I really know. So basically, nothing, and I know even less than that. So fortunately for us and our viewers, we have a very special guest joining us today to enlighten us with how this industry works, and also, but more specifically, how it relates to actually the trucking industry, because there is fuel surcharges. There's a lot of stuff based on, right. based on you know, the, obviously diesel prices, but also oil. So what we're, we're talking, you know, last week we talked a lot about the upstream and, and downstream effect of, you know, how ocean freight, you know, right. can have a really big impact eventually on the trucking and transportation industry mm-hmm. um, domestically. So, you know, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So. Please welcome, we are joined by very special FreightWaves employee, executive editor, John Kingston, our oil market expert. John, how are you doing today? It's great to be back on uh, with Sonar after about a year, I think. It's been maybe more like 13 months since uh, I was down in Chattanooga at the end of January 2020, and the coronavirus was just starting to uh, become an, an issue, and uh, we talked about it on with Sonar, and Little did I know that that would be the last time for 13 months. That's right. Well, here you are. And while you're still not back in Chattanooga, you know, we've at least got you on the air here with us. Um, but, you know, always, always good to have you. Um, John, just obviously we know who you are. And a lot of folks, you know, read, read, read a lot of your content that you put out on, on Freightways.com. But just, you know, give folks, you know, 20-second overview of, 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 you know, your background and, and what you cover, what you cover in the industry. Well, right now I'm more. I, I, I do, whatever oil needs to be covered at Freightways, I do cover. Though I do spend more time writing about trucking and freight-related issues. But uh, background-wise, uh, I worked for almost 30 years for a division of what was McGraw Hill and is now S&P Global called Platts. It is a news and pricing service. Then I went over to the um, went over to the corporate side for three years, the corporate parent, uh, and before I uh, got brutally reorged out, but swooped up and came to work for Freightways. But even when I was on the corp- on the corporate side, the job I had dealt with the oil industry as well. So really, yeah. I've been dealing with oil now for you know uh, 37 years, something like that. So I've yeah. been watching the market that long. Good stuff. And and we've seen obviously on the transportation side, there's been a lot of volatility, but there's also been a lot of volatility on you know the 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 DOE um, as well. So you know the price per gallon of, of diesel that we've seen. But before we before we even get into that, you know, kind of walk us. You know, walk us through a little bit about, you know, what what impact, you know, you know, what sort of impact when oil prices fluctuate, you know, what kind of trickle down that has, you know, towards, you know, the price of diesel? Well, you know, one thing that kind of fascinated me as we record this, um, 
the uh, DOE price has been up 17 consecutive weeks, which is yeah. a record. The series goes back to 1994, and this is the longest. The previous longest was 15 weeks. So we're at 17 weeks now. Let's go. Can I we put that on the screen too? Yeah, what, what, what I found fascinating about this is that there is very little pushback in the industry. You're, you're not hearing talk about, oh, this is a real problem for us. This is a real problem, which to me kind of affirms the idea that the fuel surcharges are kind of working as they're supposed to. The idea of fuel, a fuel surcharge is to take that cost of fuel for a fleet and put it really right through as a kind of variable, a fluctuating number to the shippers. So this is absolutely affecting the shippers. And when you looked at the earnings reports from some of the really big shippers uh, in the recently completed quarter, they made reference to their shipping costs going up. So they are certainly paying it. I'm sure that there were some independent owner operators, you know, who may have accepted a rate assuming some price of diesel, and then they were kind of surprised to get out on the road and find a higher price of diesel. But given that this is not a big deal uh, in terms of the uh, trucking industry itself, I think it's kind of like, you know, I'm, my background is not in trucking, but this is kind of my introduction to the idea that maybe these fuel surcharges are pretty well structured and uh, are doing exactly what they're supposed to do, which is to put that, that cost onto the shipper. So just to provide a little visual here for our viewers, we've put this on the screen. So the blue, we're looking at this, this is over the last year. So that blue line that you see there, that is the price per week um, uh, of diesel here in the U.S. So you can see there, you know, right about, you know, the first or second week in November is right when things really started to go up. And we've seen, just as John said, 17 consecutive weeks. I mean, we went from about just under $2.40 a gallon to now we're almost three ten a gallon. I mean, that, that's a, that's yeah, a we, pretty... We, yeah, that, 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 all, the, all the charts on diesel right now show that we've basically recaptured everything that was lost during the pandemic. Right. So I and, would say that any, any, any declines from here... I would view as uh, sort of new declines. I would not necessarily right. view them as pandemic related. So we, we, we recaptured all the declines from the pandemic. Right. And so kind of taking this into a different note, something that we brought up last time you were on with us, we were talking heavily about the IMO 2020. How, did, you, did that shock you how little people were going to talk about that going into 2020 with this well, whole pandemic? Yeah, of course. I, well, I wouldn't have expected it, but the pandemic really... Uh, made it a moot point. Um, so just to try to summarize, um, the, uh, the the marine, the global marine shipping industry had to go to a much tighter sulfur spec on all marine fuels starting in January 1st, 2020. Um, it's a kind of a long, complicated thing that I won't go through here, but the molecules that make up diesel demand were expected to be the savior of this. That molecules that would have gone into producing diesel were expected to be diverted into making this low cost, this low sulfur fuel. Well, what happened is because of the collapse in demand um, of diesel molecules, and remember, diesel is very similar in structure to jet fuel, and of course, jet fuel demand totally uh, totally plummeted. You actually had a lot of molecules out there. Uh, and so the, uh, the number of molecules needed to meet the IMO 2020 spec, there turned out to be plenty of them, and it really wasn't quite that big a deal. Will we ever know if the, uh, if the pandemic hadn't hit? Would uh, it have been a problem? You know, I mean, I I guess I could say that, uh, well, we'll never know if I was right all along thinking it was a problem, right? You know, I can kind of, <laughs> well, I'm sure I would have been right, you know. But um, so that's really what happened. There were just so many excess diesel molecules, distillate molecules that could go into the production of IMO 2020 compliant fuel that it really didn't become an issue. But I would not have banked, I would not have thought that at the start of 2020, 
But I also would not have thought that we were going to have a global pandemic either. Yeah, we probably would not be sitting in our seats if we foresaw that to be That's right. coming. <laughs> we, we may have made some different decisions along that path. Um, not, that that, yep. not that that fuel change has really had much, in, uh, much effect on the uh, ocean carrier's bottom line. As we've seen, you know, as we looked last week, the, uh, the price of containers has uh, a, more than 3x'd since, uh, since this time last year. So they're doing just fine. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's fuel almost like a regular. Yeah, fuel continued to be just like a, like a pass-through charge. Yeah. I mean, it's just something that you just kept passing on to your customer. Yeah, IMO 2020, I think the final rule was established in 2013, you know, giving the industry years and years to get ready for it. And it's almost like the, uh, the, the planners knew, well, we're going we're gonna to have a global pandemic, so we'll, it'll make the transition easy. And we'll also have insanely high container prices, so the cost of the fuel will be almost minuscule, you know, minor compared to the overall cost. You really couldn't have had a better scenario for bringing in this radically different fuel than you had in 2020. And so as we reopen back up fuel, the price of fuel is really, you know, dictated by supply and demand, you know, how many barrels are, are coming in and how, you know, how much fuel is being absorbed uh, by the consumers. Is, is, do you see us going back to normal, I guess you can call normalcy of pre-COVID causing a lot of this demand, or is it just that we just don't have the supply coming in like we used to? Well, let, let's talk about some bigger macro issues uh, right now. Virtually every commodity market is blazing hot. Um, it, uh, I, I saw a very good graph the other day comparing the price of oil to uh, the price of a whole lot of other commodities, copper, lumber, uh, some grains, and actually oil had moved up less than any of them. So uh, we are in the middle of a great commodity surge. Uh, earlier this week, the commodity staff at Goldman Sachs, which is really well-respected and people hang on their every word, they think that we're in the middle of a, you know, the, the start of a of a great commodity bull run. You know, it's if, if you take the commodity collapses dating back to let's say 2014, we're six and a half years into that. That's kind of short for a, kind of these long run bear markets. Um, but if if you say we've had a six and a half year bear market and now we're ready to reverse, that's not crazy. Um, and the, the the one thing that they said that that Goldman Sachs said and others have said is that basically every commodity right now is in deficit, that the amount of supply uh, is not adequate for demand. And that's one of the reasons you're seeing it high. And uh, I was looking in preparation for this at some sort of amazing numbers. The uh, uh, production by OPEC right now is about 24.9 million barrels a day. There is a figure out there that projects what OPEC needs to produce to keep the market balanced. And by the third quarter of next year, that number is 28.1 million barrels a day. So you're talking about more than 3 million barrel a day deficit, if nothing else changes, um, by the third quarter. So, you know, you can see that kind of supply-demand imbalance uh, that, that's really leading to some of these price increases. You know, you're talking about Brent, the worldwide uh, benchmark, that bottomed out about $20 in April, you know, and now it's solidly over $65. So you see how, how far we've come. And right now the supply-demand balance for crude oil going forward without any changes, uh, will call for, for for higher prices. It'll be interesting to see too uh, how that how that continues to unfold and affects uh, fuel surcharges in the industry. I mean, obviously, fuel surcharges are continuing to go up as the price of DOE goes up, and not that not that carriers need much more help with already rates that are that much more elevated, so they're getting an extra cherry on top. Well, let's also realize who's actually going to be affected by this swing in, in diesel price. It's not necessarily the 
the UPSs, the FedExs, is in these large trucking companies that do have a, a, a rack price or a, right. a, a pre-negotiated price that they really can just get a steal for this on a, on a per barrel basis. But also, the, it's, the, it's the other guy who's pay, paying the retail. Right. who's co- constantly having to dictate, okay, am I going going to turn left here or am I going to turn right here, depending on just the price that's posted on the signs. Yeah. And, and so well, right, that's going to be – oh, go ahead, Kingston. Yeah, I was going to say right now the, you know, the, 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 the entity in the, in the freight industry that's probably most jumping up and down and, and excitement about this would be the intermodal railroads because that, of course, is one of their big advantages. It's uh, far more energy efficient to move a ton of freight by a rail than it is to move it by a truck. Uh, the problem, of course, is that it's also not as quick and it does not as direct. I mean, we all know the the cost-benefit comparison of going under the rails rather than trucks. So, um, but when the price of diesel starts to rise, when it gets really, really high, then that cost advantage of a of an intermodal operation really stands out. So that is the one part of the freight supply chain that is just loving this. And we we've we've continued to see too, like on on the intermodal side, like volumes volumes have been ticking up a little bit. They 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 were lagging behind truckload by quite a bit, but they have continued to 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 catch up a little bit and close that gap, especially on especially on the the 53 foot intermodal side. When we look at that that container movement, especially coming out of you know you know Southern Cal, when we look at you know the Port of LA. Right, a lot, lot of intermodal movement going up, especially going to Chicago or going to Dallas. Well, to to your point, so let's just talk in kind of some what ifs. I mean, if 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 trucking rates start to to come back down, let's say a right. softening occurs, like we're all starting to, uh, everyone starts to or is sort of predicting, um, this might be a, a secret hand kind of keeping that rate high because these the the rate per gallon is so high, then your fuel surcharge is going to go up. So even though if maybe your your line haul rate starts to cheater down a little bit, that fuel might be coming up. And to Kingston's point, that's going to be something that could that could still maintain this rate per mile on the contract side of the the freight market. You know, it's going to be interesting. Zach Strickland, our colleague with Freightways, has done some very good work showing the correlation between freight rates and diesel prices to be pretty tight. And um, so how much can they diverge? I mean, if you've got, if you're about on the verge of, you know, a relatively significant downturn, I don't want to put numbers on it, but let's say you've got a downturn in freight rates and diesel continue to drive higher. You know, there are two factors here. There's the price of crude, which is the primary factor in determining what the price of diesel is, but there's also a spread between diesel and crude. And uh, so when when we opened up 2020, 2020, that spread between diesel and crude, if you, if, you, if you normalize crude to a cents per gallon basis, and then you compare that to diesel cents per gallon, that spread was about 45 cents. Um, and it got down at one point during 2020 to like, you know, four to five cents because the world just produced way too much diesel that it didn't need. It's now back to a little more normal level, more of like 30, 35 cents a gallon. Uh, so uh, it, 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 for it to have a kind of situation where crude rises and pulls diesel with it and diesel freight rates go down, um, you know, that's, that would be divergent from the work I know that Zach has shown, which is pretty consistent, and you wonder how long it can hold. And then you also wonder how much can diesel, let's say, uh, drop faster than the price of crude might be dropping or if, if diesel's going up and, excuse me, if crude is going up and diesel doesn't go up as much. So there's that second spread that's relevant to the price that's getting paid. 
Right. And so with, with trucking rates where we're at now kind of softening as well, what, were, what are some of the impacts that you saw coming out of these freezes that happened in Texas? I mean, Texas being really known for a lot of the of fuel and, and a lot of fracking. What, what do you see as a short-term uh, sort of forecast coming out of that, uh, that freezing event? Well, we know what happened. I mean, a re refineries all along the Texas Gulf Coast shut. They're not fully winterized. They're really not prepared for this. Uh, I haven't seen all the data yet about how much uh, production we've lost. When I say production, I'm not even talking about upstream production, though we lost that too. But just talking about diesel production, uh, that's something to keep our eye on. Uh, I know that there was a, you know, a big drop in reported output a week after the freeze. Uh, we'll see what happens in the, the next round of data as it's released. So there's that concern. I've got a little longer-term longer concern because of from being around for a while. Uh, the last big freeze that I remember, I, I know the, the, the press coverage has talked about a 2012 freeze, which I really don't remember, but there was a really bad one at the end of 1989. Um, and in fact, on Christmas Eve, I know because I wrote a story at home on Christmas Eve uh, to get out onto our system, there was a, a refinery that just, it failed. I, I think it exploded. I can't remember exactly what happened because of the cold, because it was, it was that cold down there. And, the, you know, there was a talk that a lot of refineries after that freeze just didn't work right for a long time. They didn't just snap back because the temperature climbed back to normal. So I think you kind of got to take a little longer view and look at what refinery throughput is and how much crude is going to get put through refineries in the coming weeks and months. And does it look like there's a return to normalcy? Uh, and if there's not, you got to wonder, is it because some refineries are just not right back and are not back at normal? That's a good point, Kingston, um, and, and I know, uh, and definitely a valid concern. Now, we're, we're getting closer towards the end of time, um, so we're, we're going to have to close here in just a minute. I guess one last point, if you could give us 15 seconds, you know, on this, we're going to go out into the weeds here for just a minute. Do you think as, as, as the electric vehicle market continues to come in, is, could that be playing into why Wall Street maybe isn't valuing oil as a commodity compared to some of the other commodities? Is that, is that on their radar? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think the end of oil has maybe been a little oversold. Right sure. now, the fact is, if you bought some oil stocks in October, you've done very, very well. But, you know, it doesn't take, in any kind of a commodity market where you're balanced on the edge, where supply and demand are in balance, you don't need to take a lot out of either side of this to be really disruptive. And let's say you had 10% of what's now a gasoline fleet go over to electric vehicles. That's not insignificant. You know, you're taking a, you're, you're taking a couple of million barrels a day of demand out of the market. So um, I think the EV penetration, it doesn't have to be 50%. It doesn't have to be 75% or whatever. You know, you get 10, 20% of the market going to EVs over the next, you know, 10 years. That is a significant chunk of oil demand. And, and I think that, that a lot of people are concerned about that. There's the whole, yeah. oh, oil's yesterday's fuel, but it's, it's more than that. I mean, you, you do have short-term disruptions. Sure. No, that's good, Kingston. Well, Kingston, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. And thank you again for our viewers. Um, we've got more good stuff coming up for you for the, the next Evolution of Oil coming up next. And everybody, stay tuned. We're coming up soon. Have a good day.